0: Listen to The Amendment now, wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Hey y'all, welcome to the ninth episode of For Future Reference. I'm Tori Taylor. And I'm Ambar Carvillo-Rivera.
0: And this podcast is all about creating a space to have real candid conversations about the role that people play in our lives, especially the ones who lift us up in professional and personal ways and how they make up the support structures in our lives. It's advice and food for thought that you can use now or just keep around for future reference.
1: And the holidays are coming up. There's a holiday this week. So if you celebrate or maybe you're just taking some time off and spending it at home or taking the opportunity to uh, spend some more time with your loved ones, we just thank you for making this a part of your week and for listening in.
0: Oh, that was such a sweet, soft introduction to the holidays, Ambar. <laughs> Maybe some of us are taking the opportunity to eat five plates of food <laughs> before we start this podcast. <laughs> anyway, I am so excited about this episode today. We are talking about how we're making the most out of our relationships and our conversations with mentors or coaches or the folks around us who are supporting and investing in us.
1: Yeah, I'm coming into this episode with a lot of joy because I've been thinking about how my relationships with mentors have evolved and the ones that have um, actually stood the test of time and what has sustained them as our relationship has evolved. And the ones where I've gotten the most out of the relationship, I realized, have been the ones where I've asked very specifically for what I needed And that can be a hard thing to do, you know? That wasn't always easy for me to do. Uh, It takes a lot of confidence. It takes some vulnerability. And in some ways it takes continued investment in yourself and asking what you need to be successful in that moment. And I think you just have to fight through the feelings of being uncomfortable and maybe even just practice doing it. I'm surprised how much this plays out for both men and women actually. Just a few days ago, I caught up with a young man that I have had really intentional conversations with about supporting him and making sure that he's successful. One of the ways that we had agreed on that I would flag his application or his resume at certain places where I've worked before and I had a good uh, relationship with hiring managers. Well, we caught up again recently and he told me that he had applied to one of the places um, that I had mentioned. But he didn't flag it for me, and he didn't ask for me to bump his resume because he said, I know you're really busy, and I didn't want to be a bother. Oh, that is so heartbreaking. That's exactly what I thought. That's exactly what I thought. I was a little bit upset. I was sad. But then I had to take a step back and realize the times that I've been there that I haven't sent that email and asked for a specific question or advice on something or help on something. And I mean, just, I don't know, Tori, how many times have you thought about asking for help, but then stopped yourself?
0: Oh, this has definitely come up for me a lot over the years. Uh, But I got really lucky a couple years ago, because a wise person counseled me with some really good advice. They said, don't close the door on yourself mm. and that just struck me mm-hmm. because i shouldn't be the one to tell myself no mm-hmm.
1: i shouldn't take mm-hmm. away
0: that decision and that agency from the person sitting across the table and make
1: that decision for them I uh, that is so important you can't get what you don't ask for trust that the people that have already offered to support you and mentor you or look out for you already see the value in you and they believe in you so just don't take that away from folks don't take that away from yourself right Um, exactly and and I mean for you Tori what does it look like now to make the most out of the relationships that you've had with mentors through through many years
0: yeah I'm point in my career where i'm really focused on developing my own leadership skills. So feedback mm-hmm. on how i'm showing up in the workplace from that perspective is really important to me right now. For example, if i am running a meeting, was the way that i did that the most productive and efficient for everyone involved? Or was my presentation style inclusive and accessible to everyone in the room? Mm -hmm. And how I typically frame these questions to my mentor is around process, actually. I am a big process person. I see the world in a spreadsheet. (laughs) (laughs) So I like to make the most out of my conversations with mentors and bosses by asking them about the how, the what, Mm -hmm. and the why. Versus the nitty-gritty details. For example, how did you decide X job was right for you? Or Hmm. what was your process for conducting yourself in X way or building out X program? And it's kind of the difference between asking someone what to say exactly to your manager when asking for a raise versus how did you arrive to a place where you realized it was time for a raise? Ah. And if my mentors can help me with the process of how to structure my approach to a situation, it is so much easier for me to fill in the specifics and take action in a way that's authentic to me, but still pulls from best practices of all these smart people in my life.
1: That also seems like it becomes a lot more evergreen, that their advice becomes something that you're able to apply to different situations later in your life Mm -hmm. rather than a very specific question or challenge did you do this yes or no exactly that's really interesting right Mm -hmm. well that's why I'm actually really excited about digging into today's interviews and talking more about just the different ways that you can show value and actually just get the most out of these uh, relationships once you've already gone through the the process of finding um, someone to support you And so our first interview is with Maria Urbina, who is currently the political director for Indivisible. And before joining the Indivisible project, she worked at and had leadership roles at different organizations, including Capitol Hill, where where she had a career that spanned over seven years in the office of the Democratic leader, Senator Harry Reid. She also has a dream team support network of other women. And so we hear from her perspective on how that has also played a role in her career. How has a mentor helped you? You know, a time where you've gotten the most out of it.
2: Mm, Sure. So I've been just to give a little bit of grounding in in how I approach this. I've been in Washington, D.C. doing federal policy and organizing um, and political work for, since 2008, so that 11 wow. years, I came right after undergrad, I came from rural Nevada, so a much smaller city, I grew up in Carson City, went to college in Reno, and moved right to D.C., and just, you know, everyone who first gets to town who's really excited about this work, um, and is sort of just like eager to prove themselves, mm-hmm. and eager to learn, mm-hmm. um, but mostly eager to not Make mistakes, yeah. Um, And I and I'll say that when I think of mentorship, that's where I like to start because so few mentors or people who invest in us. The the best ones actually make the case for feedback, and the best ones make the case for growth and learning, being uncomfortable. Hmm. And and so when I think about my early days in D.C., I felt really lucky because my first boss, um, my first supervisor in Senator Reid's office is a Colombian queer woman, and Mm -hmm. she was so beautiful in all the space that she took up, right? She wore bright colors, and she was loud as AF, (laughs) and um, she talked a lot about being a Latina in the Senate, and so for me, that was so formative, because there weren't really that many Latinas in the Senate to begin with, Mm -hmm. let alone one who was part of the senior team for the leader, um, who was directing strategic decisions um, and so for me it was one she modeled what it looked like to be a mentor to a young person around mm-hmm. her um, but then I remember when she gave me some initial feedback on my writing or initial feedback on um, making commitments about my work mm. I remember one time um, I didn't I didn't end up going to something she asked me to go to some like briefing or event or whatever because something else came up and it, I thought her sit down with me felt sort of mismatched for the incident, and it wasn't so much that she was mad I didn't go to the briefing, but it was more of when you make a commitment to yourself about your work, and you make a commitment to your boss about your work, you got to deliver. Um, and if you need something, like if you were concerned about going because you didn't feel prepared, or you were concerned about going because you didn't know who the actors there were going to be, then you need to ask, you know, for more help. And so she was just she was a really good manager, right? I think when I think of now supporting some of our staff or, or some of my friends in the movement who lead major bodies of work. It's about creating space for people to feel like they can ask for help. It's also sitting in that discomfort of having situational power and, and making it feel accessible and equitable for the people you're supporting. And so when I think of mentorships, I go right to Angela um, and she sort of informs the rest of my mentorship trajectory.
0: What we're digging into today is, you know, how do we how do we get the most out of our mentors? Mm. And you know, I'm wondering in you know, the the mentor you just mentioned, but also other folks that you know you have had that relationship with later, have you had to set up the relationship in a way that like brought you feedback? So Angela did not need much nudging. (laughs) (laughs) I probably
2: actually have gravitated to mentors who are as forthcoming as I am, who want to, like, get to know me in, in the most authentic and work-appropriate way. Um, <laughs> so I would say, like, that I, I kind of gravitate to building relationships with people like that. But I would say for folks who I've, who I've supported, who maybe are a little bit more shy or a little bit more, um, just, like, have different cultural norms or communication norms, um, realizing that actually you have a ton of agency in reaching solutions for yourself, right, and that in, not in a like pull yourself up because that's gross. And I deeply believe in communal learning, um, but in the you you get to set the parameters for how you grow and how you learn, and you get to invite that, and you get to let folks know if you're not clear on something. I think also going from a culture like Capitol Hill to eventually moving into movement work, I've learned a lot about what it, the the takeaways I want. And the best practices I want to maintain, because um, those cultures are so different. Being in institutions that are largely white and wealthy sort of affords you, uh, I don't know, a lack of visibility and power sometimes that you have to sort of overcome and, and and tap into other communities. Like I was really active in the Latinas in the Senate community. I was active in the uh, Latinos who played softball together on teams and stuff. Right? And that is sort of where you also built some of those um, skills for how to ask for things, and those, um, I felt like the reason I love playing sports on the Hill so much was because that's where we all gave each other ideas on how to negotiate salaries, um, how to look for good mentors, how to share who folks were being, you know, helpful. Um, so, yeah, I would say just don't, don't be afraid to ask, and also even, so it was so funny because when Angela and I started our working relationship, she was like very Gen X in that she was like, oh, these millennials, you know, they think they know everything. And has like, I don't know shit. Like, I was just like, I actually don't feel that way at all. And I'm like actively trying to prove myself, which is funny. Because when I think of some Gen Zers now, I feel a little bit like hala when I'm like, they think they know everything. Um, and they do. Um, but, you know, like I, um, I think about that time because... I I sort of, there were moments where I was right and I trusted my instincts while keeping the sort of boundaries of our relationship really present. And it was fun to learn that way for Angela too, because then she started trusting me to be a, a thought partner and started trusting me to actually eventually, you know, when we talk now, we're friends. Um, and when she looks at my career now, she's like, oh my God, you know, like you're doing all these things. And, and I probably sees me more as a professional equal. Um, and I recently helped her um, actually with one of her own cover letters, which is like, I'm thinking oh, wow. about that now as a full circle thing. Um, so, yeah, I, I think it's, it's, it's having the humility to, to understand that we are growing and that everyone has something to offer, including yourself, mm-hmm. and, and to trust yourself when you feel those moments of growth.
0: That's so cool and so powerful. It just speaks to how these relationships can evolve and right. how totally. we should be nimble and flexible and ready for that. Totally. Mm-hmm.
1: Now in the space that you're in, you know, you're a you're a leader in, in the progressive movement, and and you have like a squad of also other like powerful, you know, young Latinas yeah. running shit in DC. And so, how? You know, how did it look? I think there's a different way sometimes that we, when you have this one person, like your manager, or, you know, you have a mentor that's you, is pretty consistent, has coached you, supported you. Yeah. But I also think there's, like, if you haven't found that, that's okay, because there's also, like, when you do have, like, a support structure and network, how do you get support in those settings? So the
2: squad goals, um, and but more importantly, building community. Mm-hmm. Um, so I feel like, and, and maybe folks feel this in other cities or other industries. But when I first got to Capitol Hill, and I was working in this new industry, a lot of folks were like, oh, like those, you know, DC nerds. And I think you could probably like translate that to a lot of different places and industries. But I think what folks sort of scoff at is um, sort of the transaction that you feel when you're meeting people and the, the lack of real connective tissue. And so... Early on for me, I was really fortunate because I was part of a public policy fellowship cohort that brought young Latinx students interested in public policy from across the country who were of various backgrounds and various identities all to D.C. together. So that kind of already built in my initial, I think, gift of community. Um, And seeing, seeing how much learning and love was created in that cohort, it was very, very, very clear to me that You know the best way to survive DC um, and this work is to to be clear on
0: who your people are, Mm. Um, and the rest is noise. What what advice would you have for folks you know who might not have a mentor that you know really helps lay out some of those parameters for them? And what advice would you have for folks about you know how do you figure out what you need and how do you figure out what type of mentor and what type of utilization you need from the people around you?
2: Mm -hmm. Oof. That's
0: that's a whole last question. <laughs>
2: <laughs> this is a whole ass podcast. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I think the thing that I've that has like guided me to the right places and the right people is um, just like trying to remember or at least be clear in identifying your purpose, especially around your work, because that will either gravitate you in the direction of people who you want to learn from mm. or it will gra- or it will help you stay away from the people who are like yeah like they're doing x and x thing that's probably not going to be me and so mm. I don't need to really get so amped up about their advice mm. because it's it's probably not going to resonate for me or my values and so the other thing is like it's okay to be choosy about your mentors mm. um, so I, I would say in the same way that you know, all of us are trying to stay close to, like, why do I do this work? Why is this the right intervention at the right time? Why is my, why do I want to grow in this way? Like, I would, I always ask, when I've, when I've met, if I if I flip the script a little, when I've met with folks who just want to do, like, cafecitos who I've never met, one of the first things I ask them is, like, why do you do this work?
0: Because hmm. mm-hmm.
2: if you can't answer that, I can't help you. Yeah. Um, and it, it doesn't have to be a full thesis, right? It doesn't have to be a full answer, but, I remember a young lady once told me, like, I want to be the top person at this, like, you know, I want to be the top person at the White House, and the top whatever person. I don't want to like totally out anyone, right? And I was like, why? And because there's not other Latinos doing it, okay? So once you have power, what what are you doing with that power? Mm -hmm. Um, And so that's the other question I ask, especially in our spaces where we so desperately want visibility and we deserve it, right? Our institutions lack such representation of our people and our struggles that we absolutely deserve visibility in our communities and our government institutions. And if we, representation for the sake of it, number, demographic numbers for the sake of it without an analysis, a power analysis for why and what you do once you are in spaces of power, then to me it's, we are just kind of engaging in the same, I think, Um, models of power that can be destructive. And so I I think it's always important to have a why, even if it's not fully baked, um, because that will draw you to the right people. One of the things I used to ask people too is, ask people questions that you have, that you actually want to know the answers to.
1: Mm. Oh. You mean like both ways, like when you're mentoring or when you're when you're being mentored.
2: Both, yeah. Because yeah. a lot of folks will go into cafecitos or like one-on-ones yeah. or and ask questions they think they're supposed to ask, mm-hmm. and I think that sometimes things they
1: googled and they were yeah. like, how to like. Oh, we've never done that before.
2: Yeah, yeah. never. <laughs> Where it's <laughs> never. like, what
1: are the 10 things to ask a mentor? Yeah. And then you're
0: just like, are
2: right. yeah. yeah.
3: That's... Why are you
0: calling me out like that? <laughs> yeah. Uh. <laughs> so many of us, like, especially when we're younger and we're like meeting meeting a lot of people and we want to do the right things, we want to have the right type of conversations, yeah. we want to make it productive, and there's sometimes this drive to like, okay, we have to ask the right questions, or this should look a certain way. and. Um, it's so important to you know have that authenticity and kind of the north star of who you are and like what makes you who you are mm-hmm. and you know not being too prescriptive with that. You yeah. know you can't you can't Google who you are. Right, right, <laughs> right, right. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, what you want to learn. Our second guest today is Kate Black, who is a women's communication research and policy professional, new mom, and author of the book, Represent, The Woman's Guide to Running for Office and Changing the World, an amazing new resource that is packed full of leadership advice for women interested in running for office. Kate has spent her career empowering women in a range of different roles, and I'm so excited to dig into our conversation today. so we got the the opportunity to work together in 2013 i believe which feels like a million years ago you hired me for one of my first jobs in dc and have been an incredible mentor and friend and boss and all of the things to me ever since and one of the reasons we wanted to bring you on this episode in particular is we have talked a lot about mentorship and building relationships on this season and you know i think we have talked to our listeners about finding that mentor building that network and now we want to dig into how are we making the most of those relationships and i think that you are someone who has always been very intentional about structuring those relationships i know from my own personal experience with you you know sometimes i would come to our conversations and you I would ask you questions, and then you were just like, okay, and here's the here are the other questions you should be asking, and really helping me on the other side of that table figure out, you know, how do I make the most of your time and your expertise and also the expertise of other folks in our network. And so wanted to dig in with you on one, how you think about mentorship as someone who has mentored a lot of women over the course of your career
3: and how you approach some of those conversations. I don't ever think that I've hit like some magic sauce and I've figured everything out and I've made the best choices. But it's from some of actually the cho- the wrong choices I've made or the mm-hmm. bad decisions or the you know really poor choices in along my own career that I think I've learned the most, um, and have hopefully, you know, given some of that advice to some of the women that I've had the opportunity to work with. I think when I, you know, to your question about how do you use the, your mentor's time the best, one of the lessons that I learned early in my career when I was being mentored, was I wasn't, Asking the right questions. To mm. your point, my my questions were really general. It was more like, um, how do I get a job in Washington? That's mm-hmm. not a good question to ask your mentor. <laughs> <laughs> that does nothing. It does nothing, and it also doesn't give them a thing to do. You know, mm. one of the things about DC that I love is that people genuinely. I do believe this. I'm an optimist, but I think people genuinely do want to help. They've usually gotten to where they are because someone helped them, and that trickles mm-hmm. down, right? Um, But if you just ask someone, how do I get a job in Washington? Or um, I think I want to work in politics or on campaigns. Like, that does nothing. Mm -hmm. What my asks, I think, as I grew in my own mentorship and as I grew in my own career, that have gotten, I think, better is my asks are more specific. Mm -hmm. I'm more clear about what I want. I'm more clear about... The um, intention behind it. And so instead of just saying, you know, I think I want to get a job in Washington, it's more, I want a job at this place. Mm. Or I want to do what she does. How do I get there? Mm -hmm. Or um, I saw there was an opening in this type of field, in this type of place. Can you help me? Mm-hmm. That gives your mentor so many more things to do. That gives them people to talk to, um, a resume to push around, or you know, thinking about their own spaces and who maybe you should connect with. Mm-hmm. I love that. And another
0: thing that you in particular have a unique specialty in is you actually train and speak about salary negotiations and talk to a lot of audiences of women about money. And I think that some of the logistics of asking for a promotion or negotiating salary or how we define you know our monetary worth via a job are some of the tougher questions. Where does that fall into some of the conversations that you've either had with people
3: you've mentored or folks that have been mentors to, to, to you? You have to be willing to put a dollar amount on what you want to ask for. And this is where it gets Mm -hmm. really about being specific, doing some research and that research can include talking to other women and men about what they're getting paid, Mm -hmm. you know, not being afraid to ask a question about salary transparency. Mm -hmm. Now this can get a little uncomfortable and some people may not want to, but doing some of that on the ground research will help inform how much you should be asking for, Mm -hmm. you know, what is the market rate for, for a researcher on a campaign. What is the market rate for a political director at a nonprofit or a PAC or mm-hmm. an executive director at a DC think tank? These are questions that you probably know people who have the answers. Mm-hmm. It's time to start asking them.
0: Well, taking, taking a little bit of a step back, you have made a career of empowering and helping women. What do you think some of the biggest challenges that you see women facing when it comes to mentorship or building support structures in these different organizations you've worked with and also you know writing this book and all the research that went into it
3: i think there are three challenges that i that i've seen one is broad when we think of mentors i think sometimes we think that they have to be older sometimes male be well established in their own personal careers but the reality is Mentors can be peers. I think number two, not being afraid to ask for help. Mm-hmm. I think too often we we think of asking for help is a sign of weakness or a sign that we don't know something or that we're unsure. But asking for help or just asking for that advice or asking, hey, I'm about to make this decision, what do you think? Yeah, That has so much power and promise. Mm-hmm. Um, and we can't be afraid to be vulnerable. And the third thing I would say is self-promotion. Interesting. So this is something we talked about in the book, actually, because if you're running for office, you have to Mm self-promote. Your campaign is literally all about self-promotion. It's about saying why you're the best candidate, what your ideas can do for your community, and why people should vote for you. This is also true in our everyday lives. You know, self-promotion is something, though, that I think so many women, myself included, to be honest, um, find hard and unappealing and garish and kind of gross sometimes but when I hear men talk about themselves you know Mm. just you drop into some of their casual conversations they're constantly kind of just saying like the cool shit that they're doing
0: yeah they're constantly
3: telling each other what they've been up to without any fear or trepidation and it's important when you think of self-promotion that it's not facts. It's -hmm. about what you've done and what you feel and why you're proud of the thing. Writing a book
0: isn't the only big life update that you've had over the last few years. So in addition to writing a book, going on a book tour, you also are a new mom.
3: I am. I am. You know, I had my son uh, last Thanksgiving. He was little turkey baby. (laughs) Um, You know, I think in the last few years, I I switched jobs. I had a baby. I wrote a book. I went on a book tour. And uh, a a lot changed in my life. Mm -hmm. And I think what that did for me, though, was really forced me to take a step back and think about what did I need to be successful. Mm -hmm. And I really, the first thing I did was throw away any notion of balance. Oh, interesting. I hate it. I can't. The notion of work-life balance, this is something that I feel like we, as women, it's in the zeitgeist, right? Mm. We're constantly kind of told, well, do you have work-life balance? What about this new job? Does it have work-life balance? Honestly, it's a trigger for me. Like,
0: just the phrase. It it sends me into a spiral. And so I had
3: to throw it away (laughs) immediately because what it was doing to me was forcing me to, I mean, if you think of a scale, it's two sides. They're constantly fighting each other. Mm -hmm. They're constantly working against each other. And I had to basically put it to the side because none of us come to our lives with a work life and a other life, right? We come through our whole selves. And what was going on in my life required a full body and a full kind of full intention. Mm -hmm. And so to be able to write and edit a book while on maternity leave, to start a second book while on maternity leave, to raise a baby... Uh, in the most fulfilling way that I can be a parent, I needed to bring a full self mm-hmm. to that work and to that life and to that joy. So that was one of the first things I did. And and it also, one of the things that I would say helped me kind of understand what I needed from, from my partner, from my own life, from my own work, from my writing partner, was to communicate effectively.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I don't
3: think I've ever been as good of a communicator as I have been in the last year since Charlie was born, um, because you do have to say what you need totally and one thing that
0: we have talked about a little bit on this show is how the support structures that you require as you move through your life change you know the support that you need now is different than the support you needed 10 years ago and so in preparation for being a new mom and your book and changing jobs. Were there any things that you asked specifically of your mentors or intentional changes that you made to the support structure around you for those big new moments?
3: When looking at the mentors that I was kind of seeking advice from in in some of these moments, it was a combination of women who I knew who had who had done what I was about to do, who had literally, you know, given birth, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but also had embarked on a new career shift. And some of those conversations, I don't even remember thinking about them at the time as they were intentional, like mentorship conversations. Mm-hmm. They were, I was watching. I was doing a lot of kind of intake. I was doing a lot of monitoring, kind of even just seeing them in the playground with their kids and kind of figuring out, okay, how, how am I about to do this you know Mm. and some of that watching helped inform my learning and informed my doing later on so that was number one the second thing um, is I started to kind of give myself the permission to change the way in which I interacted with my mentors and my friends and my peers it wasn't. I knew it wasn't going to be the coffee dates, and it wasn't going to be the hour-long kind of strategy sessions.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: And so instead of those, it was. Um, it's text chains. It's um, just sending gifts back and forth. <laughs> <laughs> um, it is, you know, just doing being present in some of you know my friends and my mentors' Instagram live stories. I mean, some of these ways, just giving yourself the freedom to be flexible mm-hmm. and rethink how mentorship and especially peer mentorship can work for you in a new structure and a new system is really, really valuable Um, because you'll find that maybe the person on the other end of that exchange, maybe they needed that gift too. You know, Mm -hmm. maybe they, what works for them right now is just being, you know, present in a different way.
0: We on for future reference are huge proponents of sliding into DMS (laughs) with memes (laughs) gifts. We talk a lot about it on the show. Um, Big fan of of text chains and sending like cute cat pictures. Are there any books or podcasts or resources that you've used in your own professional development that are go-to's for
3: you? I mean, well, I'd be remiss if I didn't plug my own book, uh, Represent the Woman's Guide to Running for Office and Changing the World. The other book that I remember reading is The First 90 Days and that's a book that for all you management files out there it is, <laughs> it is tried and true but it does talk about you know you're going into a new scene a new space um, how do you make that first 90 days successful one of the biggest things that I could tell anyone who's going into a new job is to uh, think about what your boss is reading
2: mm-hmm. and
3: it's good advice yeah I think um, a good anecdote for this I re- recall When I started at Emily's List, my new boss was she would drive in to work and she listened to NPR on the way into work. Mm -hmm. And I at that time was not an NPR listener, Uh, but because she did and she would come into the office and say, I listened to these three stories on NPR. Let's do this, this and this. I was Mm -hmm. like, oh, fuck, I need to listen to NPR in the morning because she's doing that. Um, I just started in a completely new field uh, in the Federal Communications Commission uh, two years ago, and I started reading daily the things that I knew were kind of in the trade press, the following the news of the day that um, I knew other people in this community had been following, and started to ask people when I met them, you know, what are the, what are the things you think I should be reading? Yeah. Um, and so getting a sense from not only your boss, but also the people in your community, in your new community, Um, the things that they're reading on the regular is a really helpful tool to kind of get up to speed quickly.
0: If you were going to have coffee or lunch or drinks with your mentor this week, what is something that you would bring to that conversation?
3: Well, something that I'm currently dealing with is thinking about this question of, I would say, recalibrating priorities. Mm. You know, I just got back from a book tour. I came I took a month off work to do that and figuring out now that kind of re-entry period of my day-to-day job the the side hustle that's continuing with the book and yeah. it's really exciting and and also kind of just re-engaging with my family and getting back into some of that day to dayness of it all. As always
1: we're super lucky we had the chance to spend time with women like Kate and Maria. What are you taking away with you Tori Taylor?
0: Mm, so much. One thing in particular, we have the agency to plan and prepare for these relationships and mm-hmm. these conversations. We have the agency to come to these relationships in a way that feels authentic and necessary to where we are at this point in our lives and with what we need. That's on us.
1: Mm, yeah. One thing that came up when we are talking to Maria that I'm holding on to and and just kind of sitting with is a point that she made about just recognizing that you might not always be ready for the full mentoring relationship and i mean that you know she talked about maybe being at times not ready to hear the feedback that she was getting or hear some of the advice that she was getting from folks um, that were in, in positions to, to offer support and that I think that's really interesting and that sometimes you just have to be real with yourself and, and know that maybe you're just at a point in your life where you're not really ready for that kind of, of relationship and, and mentoring in, in your life and that that's, that's okay too. Totally our next episode as we continue the conversation on building fulfilling and purposeful relationships is digging into and leveraging our current relationships at work and the role that they play as we focus on our development instead of only looking outside of our organization for networking opportunities. I'm excited for that conversation and we want to thank you for listening today and make sure to
0: subscribe and ask some of your best friends to subscribe and rate the pod
1: too. (laughs) We hope that this helps for now or for future reference. Talk Talk to to you next next week. week. For Future Reference is a Wonder Media Network original show. Are you a young person of color or an ally who wants to know how you can get involved in the social justice fight beyond the protests? Don't worry, Pod for the Cause has your back. Pod for the Cause is the official podcast of the Leadership Conference on Civil and Human Rights and the Leadership Conference Education Fund, where host Ashley Allison expands a conversation on the critical civil and human rights challenges of our day. From the courts to immigration, We're fighting to build a democracy where every voice matters. Through this expanded dialogue, Pod for the Cause wants to spur activism that drives change in our communities and country. Get more info at podforthecause.org. Be sure to listen and subscribe to Pod for the Cause wherever dope podcasts are found.